paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Dr. John. What is it, Dr. John? Looks like we've got another flop. Do we have a reading on its beats? Negative. Let's check its vitals. Concept. A check. Plot. A check. Structure. Uh, I mean, it's there. Um, what about characters? Check. Dialogue? Check. What about its theme? Uh, yeah, about that. Well, let's fix it. But first... Welcome to the Script Doctors Podcast, where each week we take on a new patient, a movie script, or a TV show in an attempt to diagnose script diseases we found within them and suggest our own prescriptions on how we'd fix them. I'm Dr. John Cooper. And I'm Dr. John Akawi. And we are... The Script Doctors. We are not medical doctors. Therefore, any medical advice we give can and should be deemed as false. We are script doctors, graduates of the UCLA Screenplay Medical School, and therefore are only qualified to give medical advice on movie and TV scripts. All scripts are wonderful in their own way, and each has redeeming qualities. Our diagnoses and prescriptions are purely based on story and merely suggestions of what we would have done differently to make the story better in our eyes. Please consult with us, your script doctors, before submitting to any competitions or big-name Hollywood producers or agencies. Hello, I'm Dr. John C. I'm Dr. John. <laughs> John, I'm, I'm Dr. Dr. John. <laughs> Is that your Batman voice? Apparently, <laughs> I just, I went too deep. <laughs> you almost choked yourself. Oh, no. I did. I did. I'm red now. Wait, it's hot. Okay. One second. I need a fan. Okay, we're good. We're good. Use this magazine. There we go. <laughs> and welcome to another episode of oh, the Script Doctors. The Script Doctors. Yeah, you do it much. You do it. Not me. I'm not going to do Batman's voice. In I've this. been practicing for years. I've got it perfected. But we have with us today a special guest. I don't know if you've been hearing an unfamiliar laugh in the background, but we have a very, very <laughs> special guest here today. Yes, we do. And we're excited to finally have her on because she is the, I will call her the mother of this podcast. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Because she gave us this idea of doing it. So everybody, please welcome the wonderful, the amazing, the screenwriting talent and writing assister, a sister, writing assistant. <laughs> she is like my sister. That's why. Let me backtrack again. Wow. She's a screenwriter and a writer's assistant at Cooper Home Entertainment. The wonderfully talented Samantha Bringhurst. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> I'm so stoked to be here. I've been waiting for this podcast ever since you pitched it. And so I'm just so excited to, to hear all your ideas and how you're fixing all your scripts and all the things. Yay. We've John, like Dr. John said it best when he said, we've been waiting to have you on this podcast for mm -hmm. quite some time, because if memory serves, you really were the inspiration for this podcast. And especially yes. we had to have you on this episode, right? <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. Like, Especially because, yeah, because of what we're discussing today. <laughs> mm -hmm. What are we discussing today, y'all? <laughs> Samantha, why don't you tell the good people that are listening? Today, we're discussing John Cooper's favorite movie, Batman versus Superman. <laughs> Woo! Everyone around. Woo! <laughs> no, with a W, John, with a W. <laughs> <laughs> I will be here refereeing today. <laughs> yeah we, yes we that's decided, why yeah <laughs> we decided dr dr john didn't we that uh we yes. needed a referee for this for this one <laughs> yes yes because okay quick backstory of why this podcast even exists again with the inspiration of samantha um we all worked on a 
uh, on, in a room, a writer's room together on a web series. And there was one time where we brought up this movie, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. And a heated argument started between Dr. John C. and I about the fact that Dr. John C. loves and likes the movie and I absolutely hate it. And Samantha enjoyed the banter. I mean, of course, I think you you piped in and joined and gave you, you know, your own thoughts too, uh, which I will not tell the audience whose side you took. <laughs> For the Probably sake of you being an unbiased referee. <laughs> but... You know, afterwards, Samantha was like, I think, you know, you guys should like do this as like a fun bit or like a show or something like, you know, because it's educational to an extent, as you've seen this whole season of all our episodes. But at the same time, it's the fun of like John and I's friendship of Dr. John Cena and I's friendship of just coming together and talking scripts. And so we took that idea and Dr. John Cena and I developed the script doctor out of that small little Suggestion, and that's why we call Samantha the mother of the podcast, or at least I did. <laughs> Especially too, because you guys are both great writers. I have learned so much from both of you, and so it is so fun to hear people who really know movies talking about movies. I just live for that, so that's why I wanted so badly for you guys to do something like Thank this because it was so great, and it was like funny and educational at the same time. So I'm so glad you're doing this. So, so are we. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you. Exactly. Thank and you, and like. And like Dr. John C. said, you know, we needed to bring you on for this special episode because, again, it's the birth of the idea of this podcast. So Batman versus Superman, Dawn of Justice. <laughs> You'll get it by the end. I know you will. I'll get it by the end. <laughs> yeah, that'll be that'll be the point of this episode, actually, is can Dr. John A. in the hour of this episode perfect the Batman voice? Yes. <laughs> we'll find out. Forget anything else. It's not about who wins. Me. Mm. Who loses? Me. Dr. John A. Dr. John C. <laughs> uh, if you re-edit this so that, that so that that's in the different order, <laughs> I would be so sad. I promise I will not re-edit this. I'm just gonna keep it exactly as is right now. <laughs> good. Oh, see, this is why I can work with you. This is what because you do it right. You do it good. Yeah. Little does he know, audience, that I will be cutting all of his dialogue out, and it'll just be me and Samantha. <laughs> no. Me, me <laughs> it. Oh my gosh. Oh my. <laughs> every time I want, you're you're not going to be able to see this the uh, no. at home, but every time I'm trying to trump a point, just because I, I'm going to stand up. I'm wearing a Superman logo shirt, floating, and I'm just going to fill the screen with Superman's emblem. It's going to be great. And they're going to listen. Well, you oh. got a Batman phone case too, don't you? Oh, yeah. This one. The Batman from Batman versus Superman on the back. Oh, I will, I will be censoring myself for the sake of the audience, but I have some thoughts about that. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> well, before we get into, into really dirty, underhanded shots... <laughs> What, what yes. Samantha? Why don't you do your first uh, active duty as referee? Separate us and tell us what the, the what the screenwriting term of the day is. <laughs> Woo! Okay, you both collect your thoughts. Today's screenwriting word of the day is exposition. Um, the definition of exposition is um, the insertion of background information within a story or narrative. This mm -hmm. information can be about the setting, characters' backstories, prior plot events, historical context, etc. 
Mm. In the case of movies, this is usually to help the audience understand where they are in a story and also understand any background they haven't seen on screen or possibly anything that happened in prior movies as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's a good word for today's topic. It is. And, it, and it's really important to honestly, I was telling I was, I was telling you both earlier, but it is probably next to the climax of a, of a script, probably the hardest uh, or most volatile at very least element to handle when you're writing a screenplay it can truly make or break a script if you do it 100 percent, 100 percent. because sorry go ahead no no go for it i i I was just gonna say like i mean i agree with you that it's one of the hardest things which people are like really come on like it's it's easy coming up with backstory maybe but it's the balance you need to find of how much you need of it in your script because too much of it. And I mean, we're talking again, as Samantha said, in a movie perspective or even a TV show perspective, because books, you can put a bunch of exposition in there. I mean, hello, Stephen King, you know, and it still (laughs) works because again, it's a different type of medium of storytelling. Whereas here, when it's visual, you can't have too much exposition because it'll end up being too dialogue heavy, for example, and that's usually reserved more for a stage play or a musical rather than a film or a TV show. And at the same time, you don't want too little exposition because then you're going to make your audience be like, what am I watching? Because I have no idea what's going on. You yeah, know? That, that's, and that's best case scenario. Worst case scenario, if you don't give sufficient amount of exposition, they're not going to care about your characters because they're not going to understand what's going on. They're not going to understand what's at stake or what motivates the character. They're not going to be able to relate to them. I mean, it, it literally can just completely wipe out a film. Mm-hmm. It's um, so fascinating that to me that way. Cause again, it, it, that's the case in film, but for books, it's a whole different thing. No, because uh, film is very visual. That's, that's the thing that I think we as screenwriters often have a tendency to forget because we're writing actual words, but film in and of itself is a visual medium. Everything needs to be seen Everything needs to be like experienced. Things need to be shown through actions and not through words. Whereas a book, that is exactly what it needs to be is, is words. Cause that's all you've got. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I think a lot of, Oh, sorry. Go for it, Samantha. What were you going to say? Oh, no, uh, this is just one thing I feel like is taking me the longest to learn in screenwriting actually is learning how to tell a story visually because it is so different. I'm used to writing stories or even a little bit of theater and with that, you, especially with books where it's stream of consciousness, usually you, you can yes. kind of just tell as much as you want. The, like John was saying, of just um, you can put in all those thoughts and it, it, it fits. It fits for books. You need it. Whereas in a movie, if someone's talking you through the plot, it may not look weird because you are typing up words. But when you hear it, it's really strange because no one does that in real life. Mm-hmm. So it mm-hmm. is definitely a very hard balance. <laughs> exactly. As we may find out today during our episode that was my batman doing, mm-hmm. well, it was like a batman louis armstrong kind of literally <laughs> oh what a wonderful Gotham. <laughs> Oh, that's that's. Bizarre. And we're probably getting sued by the Louis Armstrong state. So let's continue with this episode. <laughs> so let's let's launch right into it then. <laughs> what uh, what is our poor patient suffering from? Because I think whether you are a fan of this movie or not, you have to be able to admit that something went terribly, terribly wrong with this movie. Mm-hmm. Again, it is it is probably in my top three favorite movies of all time. 
but even I can understand that like something <laughs> that looks on their face <laughs> of disgust is just gold. I love it. I want to know what the other two are. I know. <laughs> I'm concerned now. <laughs> I should look at my list. I've got it somewhere, but I just don't remember where it is. Um, if you or a loved one suffers from lack of taste like Dr. John C., <laughs> please call 1-800-THE-SCRIPT-DOCTORS. Okay, though, but we all have that one movie we love that we know makes no sense, though. It's true. I do have to say. No, that's Everyone true. has like, one movie you love that you know is a train wreck, but you yes, love it anyway. That's true. I was on another call the other day, and someone had asked us as an introduction to ourselves of name the one bad movie that is so bad that it's good. And I'm not necessarily saying like Batman v Superman is that per se, but I'm just saying like there are a bunch of movies that are worse and just critically have been panned and people are like, yeah, I don't get how this got made. But you still love them because you're just like, they're so goofy. They're just so Sharknado. out there. Exactly. Like Sharknado. They made seven of them, I think. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, by like, by Hollywood standards, like that's seven installations of a film franchise. Like that is highly successful. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, yeah, that's true. But it's so bad. But that's why it's so good. Because they lean into it, right? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but as I was saying, it like on this one, this one very clearly wasn't trying to be bad. Um, yeah. But I mean, you can see through the the rate the ratings and uh, like uh, most people's opinions that something went wrong somewhere, and you're like mm-hmm. so so terribly wrong. And I think there is a a wide wide variety of what caused this one to really flop in the box offices. And I don't think it's predominantly what we're talking about today, but today is a big portion of it. The other mm-hmm. stuff is out of my jurisdiction to talk about, but we can talk about what we want, what, what went wrong, what, what went wrong with the writing. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Cause Lord knows we have never been given 300 million. I don't even know if that's the budget of this movie, but you know, Hundreds of millions of dollars to make a movie yet. And one day we will. And at that point, maybe we will understand. But for now, we will talk about the story and the script. That's right. <laughs> um, I'll uh, Just so you know, in case somehow one of you out there is listening has never heard of this movie, our usual little back you know, information of it. Um, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice is a 2016 American superhero film, clearly starring Batman and Superman, played by Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill, respectively. It was actually supposed to be the follow-up film to the 2013 film Man of Steel, which was all about Superman, of course. Um, and the introduction of Batman, this universe's Batman in the DC extended universe. Um, and it stars an all big cast and fantastic actors. Besides Ben Affleck and Henry Cavill, you have Amy Adams, Jesse Eisenberg, Diane Lane, Lawrence Fishburne, Jeremy Irons, Holly Hunter, and, and Gail Godot. Um, and the quick blog line of the film is in the film, criminal mastermind Lex Luthor, played by Jess Eisenberg, manipulates Batman into a preemptive battle with Superman, with whom Luthor is obsessed with destroying. Hmm. That's a very interesting blog line. <laughs> That's what the internet fed me. <laughs> Not no, the one I came up that's, with. <laughs> that's fair. No, I just like... It, the, it, Every every time I learn a little bit more about it, and I was like, "Oh, that's an that's an interesting way to to pitch the movie." Because yeah, that is technically speaking what it's about, but it like definitely isn't how I would pitch the movie. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's it's interesting to see. we'll talk about that. Perspectives are very important. That that's the only reason I bring it up, not to discredit Doctor John A. It was a great it was a great logline. It was a great summary. Uh, 
It's like, but what you're saying, it's like, that's literally, you could tell that that was probably the idea that was pitched that then the script came out of, of course, did it follow that Mm -hmm. spying? You know, that's maybe up for debate because as we're, you know, we're about to talk about, it went all over the place in some regards, but you know, (laughs) yeah, I feel like that was probably what was pitched to DC slash Warner Brothers. And then that's how the script got written. Very possibly. So what, so let's, let's talk a little bit about, uh, <laughs> let's talk about what we think this is suffering from. And we're always going to start off on a positive note. So I'll go first. Oh, <laughs> okay. Uh, but actually it was, as we were talking about this patient, we discovered that we actually have a little bit more in common about what this movie is suffering from. Yeah. Where our disagreements actually is in, in is in what is causing the, the the ailment the disease the whatever you want to call it right? we know medicinal words yes we do yeah, we, medicinal we, we, medical <laughs> 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 okay uh, so what uh what we both agree that this movie is suffering from is a terrible disease called an expository gnosia no not uh, that tragic so 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 tragic and essentially what it what it is is uh, a lack of sufficient exposition right? is that is that a good way to kind of describe what we what we agreed on basically i mean and also now it tells you why that was our screenwriting term of the day that samantha told us but yes i agree <laughs> exactly just the you know there there's just a, there's just a lack of it there's not enough exposition for this movie to land perfectly with all or even adequately with all audiences. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is interesting because we all watched the ultimate edition mm. of this movie. And I would argue that that version of it, despite being what three and a half hours long, <laughs> still has that same issue mm-hmm. that you're still left in the dark on a lot of points, despite the length of the movie. Yep. I agree. Even though it does a better job at communicating so many things, it it's mm-hmm. still lacking because the core structure of the movie and, and the writing team behind it, you know, glossed over a few things in the exposition, in handling the exposition that maybe they should have spent a little bit more time with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and Dr. John A's got an opinion of, of where that came from, like the kind of the cause. Is that right, Dr. John? Re- yes, Dr. John C. Um, <laughs> I would say it kind of came with um, multi-beat plesia. And you might have heard a term like this from a previous episode from a diagnosis we had, but that was rebeat plesia, which was, you know, the definition of that disease was the repetitive story beats or really redundant ones. Whereas this one, I felt like it was, there was a story beat that was there, but they added all these layers to it that kind of made it feel redundant at the end of the day. Like, it was like, we get it, we get it, you know? Um, And I'm just gonna, if I can go in a little bit more detailed, if that's okay with you guys. Please. Like, I just felt like a lot of the story beats in this movie seemed to be at least two or three story beats too complicated than it needed to be. And because of that, and focusing on those specific beasts, beasts, they were beasts, beats, (laughs) because they were so focused on those particular beats, um, it did not allow for the proper exposition exposition that was needed for the other parts of the story. You know, like, for example, um, Lewis Lane, played by the iconic Amy Adams. First of all, I mean, I had multiple issues with the film's portrayal of female identifying characters. We won't get into that right now because that's not the point of this episode. But um, 
Lewis, as usual, you know, is the damsel in distress and Superman drops everything to rescue her whenever, which I mean, it makes sense, right? Because they're in love. We have the previous film. And of course, if you know Superman, you know his love is Lewis Lane. Like that all makes sense to me. Great. Okay. And then the reveal happens that Lex Luthor is just using Lewis being in danger basically to lure Superman out into the open. So, you know, he could do his diabolical plan of, um, you know, Batman killing him or whatever it was. But then... The whole point also was for Luther to reveal to Superman that I've also kidnapped your mother, Martha, which please do not get me started on the Martha verse of the movie and the DCEU with everyone <laughs> named Martha. But anyways, that's not my point. Um, I just, I'm just saying like both women did not need to be captured for the purpose of the story beat or to create some sort of urgency for Superman or some sort of stakes. Simply just like if Lex kidnapped his mother, great, just make that known. You don't need to add all these redundant story beats of like, okay, also Lewis Lane to also add that kind of the romance and the beast. Like you didn't need all that extra stuff because you needed to focus on other parts of the story to make sense back to what we were saying with the exposition, you know? Gotcha. Or like, so, for example, go ahead, sorry. Oh, sorry. So I was just going to summarize kind of what you're talking about. So in with, with multiplegia, what essentially what that would boil down to is <clears throat> there only, you, you believe that there, it would have been sufficient to have one quote unquote damsel in distress. But instead yes. of just one, they used two, therefore making it multi-beat plesia, two damsels in distress at two different moments in the film that caused this redundant feeling. Yes. And I mean, I guess, well, now as you're describing it too, because rebeat plesia might sound the same, but I feel like with rebeat plesia, it's literally the same story beat happening over and over and over and over. Right. This might seem the same, but I feel like because it's taking uh, or, you know, taking into account two different characters that also do have two different trajectories after that, it's, it's different, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And like, for example, um, similarly, uh, the movie also uses like the African massacre and the explosion in the U.S. Capitol for Superman to feel bad about the chaos he's brought to the world. Right. Like that's kind of what they needed him from an emotional standpoint. And I'm just like, y'all could have just chose one. Like you didn't need to add more trauma and more stuff like that. And that's again, yes, it might be repetitive of a beat, but at the same time, both of them had different outcomes on Superman. Um, mm -hmm. So to me, I'm just like the entire story just felt like pointless busy work that clouds a sim more simple storyline that is there at the end of the day. And kind of when I gave that log line, when you were like, yeah, I could see how that would be the movie, but it deviates away from that is because you constantly with all the other stuff happening, you forget that the whole point was, oh yeah, Lex Luthor was basically trying to convince Batman to destroy Superman because Lex Luthor, of course, hates Superman, but mm -hmm. everything else just kind of takes it away from that. Um, Unless know, that that's... was never the point of the movie. <gasps> dun, dun. <sighs> Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> I bet Zach knows, but that, that's about it. <laughs> oh, you want me to call him real quick? <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you could give on the line, that'd be awesome. We, could, we should really involve <sighs> him in this. 1-800-Snyder. <laughs> <laughs> so I know I think that that was very well, that was very well said. Don't you agree, Samantha? I definitely agree. I think that I don't know, especially where they had the repeating points. It's like they were trying to drive home um, or repeating beats. My bad. They're trying to drive home a certain point. But in doing that, it does make the story kind of bloated and long. And it, yeah, that definitely did not work. I think the way they intended it to. I feel like it's easy to see what they were going for, mm -hmm. but it didn't work. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Um, now, on the flip side, if the an expository gnosia was not caused by multi-beat plesia. My hypothesis is that this 
film was actually suffering from a venomous audience bite. Oh, Lord, not that. I know it's a it uh, in all seriousness, that is probably one of the worst like things that can happen to your worst or best things that can happen to your film. There's this thing called fan baiting. I don't know if you've all heard of that term, mm-hmm. uh, but, the, you know, there whether that's a good or bad thing, a venomous uh, audience bite can can cripple at least critical ratings of mm-hmm. of your piece. And I believe that's a little bit of what was happening here. If we look at kind of the background of when Batman versus Superman was being released in, I mean, you got Marvel at the height of its glory, right? Uh, Civil War was about to come out. That was one of its last good ones, uh, as it were. <laughs> as it were. Um, so you've got this and you have these like expectations that audience members are coming in, right? Expecting to see met because they've been conditioned to it for almost almost a decade at that, at that point probably or at very least six years you know so they're coming in with these preconceived notions of what a superhero movie should be and how it's supposed to go and how it's supposed to be happy and and funny and we're supposed to laugh and we not care that people get killed um <laughs> but the the on the flip side of it you know we have these audience expectations and unfortunately i feel like this is something the writer team either did take into consideration and then just like openly went against or that they didn't think about, you know, because they didn't, it, you know, there's this term that uh, the write your screenplay podcast talks about called the, the genre beast. I think it is Samantha, correct me if I'm, is that what, is that what it is? The genre beast. Yep. Yep. You're right. Yeah. And you, and they say, and I, I believe this wholeheartedly you have to feed the genre beast because it's what people are going into movies expecting. And for those of you who don't know what that term is, it's essentially uh, how would you how would you explain that, Samantha? Actually, the the genre beast. I say just like you said, the genre expectations of just what the audience is thinking they're going to see is very very important. Um, I think people like to pull twists and make it new and unique and something unexpected, but sometimes that's not always a good thing because if you as an audience member are coming with certain expectations and you have needs that you want to be um, met by this movie, like a superhero movie where you want to leave maybe feeling kind of hopeful that you know that things will work out that people are good so on and so forth and you come to this movie <laughs> you're probably not going to leave as a very you know happy fulfilled audience member yeah at that point so yeah so just genre beast would just be yeah what the genre expects and just what then the audience expects exactly and i think from from a writing perspective this movie definitely did not feed the genre beast and that but i also want to say it's okay not to, with a giant asterisk, as, asterisk um, by it, because if you're not going to feed the genre beast, you need to do a lot of legwork in your exposition to prepare the audience that they are not going to be fed in the same way that they're anticipating. You need to pitch to them a very different movie than the one they're walking and expecting. And so this neglect, whether intentional or unintentional of audience members, causes them to lash out and bite at the movie saying, this isn't what we were promised. This isn't what I was going in for. Like you have made this terrible thing. You have spit in my face. Like, how could you? And they're like, well, we are never trying to do that, but they never, they never prepared us. They never warned us. Um, mm-hmm. so that, that's essentially what I mean when I say a venomous audience bite is you've, you've stimulated a snake of an audience member and it's bitten you. <laughs> it will do <laughs> terrible. They never ignore a snake, the genre beast. When you are uh, when you were writing a script, essentially. <laughs> no, yeah, 
I mean, it, it, this is not a prescription. Pers- I mean, I'm not, we're not in our prescription phase yet, but I'm just pointing this out is it's in the title alone, Batman V Superman. Mm-hmm. You immediately by hearing that you have the expectation of like, oh, they're going to fight against each other, which they do in the movie. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, it's like that kind of really wasn't the purpose of it because they needed to get Batman and v- Superman kind of together to then again, the title Dawn of Justice. This was the movie needing to set up the Justice League. Mm-hmm. You know, so there were expectations just by the title alone that necessarily weren't met or they were, but by different means and weird ways that I, I totally agree with you from this the Venomous uh, fan, whatever you called it again. But. <laughs> the, the Venomous audience bite. There we go. There we go. One could call it the audience fan bite, too. It's a little bit more catchy, rolls off the tongue. But I was like, oh, well, technically, it's all audience members lashing out in some way. Just I also like the term you used of fan baiting yes. because I feel like with the big powerhouses that are DC and Marvel for sure, that is what they're falling into. And not that we're critiquing this right now, but I'm just saying um, they fall into that trap because, and you can listen to a previous episode of Dr. Strange too, um, or our bonus episode, I should say, where I felt like that's kind of something similar with that movie where they fan baited by all mm-hmm. the rumors that were coming out and the expectations of the story. Then you, we watched it and we're like, uh, you didn't deliver on what we expected but it's at the same time it's like well we never told you that's what we were doing because right. they were baiting the fans <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> so <laughs> well i was also going to say like i think it suffers from another thing dr john c if i may oh really well what is okay. that dr john a <laughs> I think it suffers from, for me at least, from my viewing of some sort of antagonitis. Like, mm. it's not that the particular antagonist goes all over the place. I just think that there's a lack of a true antagonist that then kind of makes the movie go all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I say that because when you watch the movie, it's kind of the impression we get from the first act is that Bat- B- Batman, Batman, <laughs> kind of the villain. You know, um, again, because it's like Superman's kind of the protagonist we're following and Batman, although they're kind of giving the backstory of why he's going to fight Superman, especially with uh, Lex Luthor involved and all that stuff. But Batman's kind of your central villain in a way. And in the movie, we see him as a killer, kind of what when you made that comment earlier with the killings and whatnot. But the movie doesn't really attempt to retcon with with that with and like any logical or meaningful way. Mm-hmm. So like, okay, it's clear that Bruce has a vendetta against Batman that drives him to try and kill the Man of Steel at the movie's climax. Great. Mm-hmm. But it's very cl- unclear to me in the movie. And I don't think general audiences are really given this impression of Batman being a killer because of his actions in the movie. Um, it's obvious that Batman killing Superman would be morally reprehensible, mm-hmm. but the movie doesn't show us that. Like, cause right. Batman literally kills other people in the movie. But right. then it becomes this bigger question of like, but can I kill Superman? And it's like, wh- why are you questioning it when you clearly were killing innocent people and not caring about that? And I shouldn't say innocent people because he was like killing the criminals, really, you know? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that way, um, sorry, my like trail of flies all over the place right now. <laughs> um, There's a lot to unpack with this movie, so. Literally, like, I'll come back to the script. Like the script and the direction of the film show Bruce using lethal force against actual criminal criminals, Absolutely. but they're not written or framed in an antagonistic way, right? Like you see him doing that and it's like, yes, because he's a good guy. But then when it comes to him killing Superman, all of a sudden it's like, he's a villain. Mm-hmm. And to me, I'm like, okay, like it created a sense of confusion for me, like as a reader of the script or as just an audience member and understanding, okay, is Bruce a villain or not? Because clearly 
him killing uh, Superman would make him a villain. But at the same time, it's like, well, we know he's a good guy. Mm-hmm. And of course, you know, you would say, oh, well, Lex Luthor's the true villain. I'm like, yeah, but he was very much out of the film a lot of the times for me. You know, it was all totally. focused on Batman and Superman. And then, of course, you had Doomsday appear at the very end, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I just, just to me, there wasn't really a strong sense of an antagonist because of Bruce's kind of like wavering of this kind of sort. And then, of course, again, you had Lex Luthor, Doomsday, and I'm, I'm sure there were other smaller villains I'm not picking up on that were in the movie, but I don't know. But it's about it. But those are just the things that bothered me besides the multiplegia was just like the antagonitis of the film where I really couldn't pinpoint who is the one driving the antagonistic force of the film. Mm-hmm. This is a question that I actually came in with for both of you. I guess it's kind of a two-parter. So one is if Lex Luthor wasn't in the film, do you feel like it would have been a better movie? And also, so I don't know the comic book background of this. Are all the events in this movie right from the comic book? And if so, do they all happen in the same storyline? Like, could that be the reason why this all happened the way that it did is just trying to stay true to the original source? Ooh, I have I have stuff to say about that. But Dr. John, do you do because I'm, I'm a DC nerd, so <laughs> I I probably I can't talk about the DC stuff, the comic stuff. So that's all Dr. John C. Um, but kind of the question you posed of if Lex Luthor and this this wasn't part of my prescription for the movie per se, but I feel like if they did take Lex Luthor out of the film, I think it would have been fine. Like, I really think he was just the inciting incident for Batman's arc, you know, of kind of plotting the idea of like, you need to kill Superman, you know, or whatever he does, because that's again, what sets up the framework of the movie. He doesn't need to show up later on in the movie, I think, and doesn't need to bring Doomsday into this, all that stuff. I think again, with the multi-beat plesia, it's like, we get it, you know, they needed to fight each other and then they need to come to terms with each other that both of them, the way that they're doing things are wrong in their own way, but at the same time, we need to come together to do what's right. So maybe writing Lex Luthor out of the majority of the film would have been better, personally, but yeah. For, for me, on, on that point, I actually am of almost the exact opposite opinion, naturally. Um, I think Lex Luthor is essential uh, in this movie because of the theme. Um, he, he is... He is one of the the heaviest theme carriers. Of course, I'm talking about theme. I know, Doctor. When he talks theme, I shut up immediately because I'm like, he's about to speak genius and and truth. So I'm about to lose this argument. (laughs) I don't know about that, Doctor John C. Sorry. (laughs) I just think, like, thematically, there is there is a lot of, um, and and we can talk more about this. Well, I'll I'll talk about it now because we're talking about it right now. Uh, There, like the like, there is a big theme in this movie about faith right and about uh, i'm not going to say religion per se but about our about our heroes about the 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 people or the things that we worship and how they should or should not act right there there i mean it, it's all over the place between the religious paintings to the cinematography that is based off religious artwork from history mm-hmm. to I mean, the, the lines that are said, I mean, Lex Luthor literally stands on top of that building and says, I learned in this moment that if God is all powerful, he must not be all good. And if he's all good, he must not be all powerful. Like they're, they're literally talking about faith and, and they're talking about in news reports, Superman, like the, a deity figure coming down. And how did we expect him to be? We expect him to fold to our, you know, like they, he, they, they essentially associate him as like a Christ-like figure, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, Lex Luthor, like there are three different very important points being captured in each of the three main characters, um, Lex Luthor, Superman, and Batman, about faith. And um, because, in my opinion, this, this, uh, this film leans closer to like 
a work of art that should have been something that like maybe was did went to Sundance versus like a typical Hollywood theatrical production. You know, the, the movie to me is truly an exploration of, of this theme of, of faith uh, and, and our, in the fate, our faith figures for lack of a better term. Um, and so each one of those characters carrying one of those themes about what would it be like to be, you know, Christ in a modern day or, or some sort of deity figure like living among us, you know, what would that be? How would that feel? What would that look like? Um, mm-hmm. And then you have Lex Luthor who has completely given up and is actually like antagonistic towards said deity. Right. And believes that these things should be exposed and, you know, brought down and like heroes or, or faith religion, like these things need to be torn down because they're all a sham. And then you've got, you know, Batman who is, who is wary of them, but is also one himself. And he, he's being pulled between the two. Does he believe in Superman's philosophy or does he believe in Lex Luthor's theory? And this goes to the second question or kind of what you talked about, John, with antagonitis. I don't believe, I believe actually that Batman is the protagonist of this, of this film, not Superman. In fact, I think Superman leans closer towards an antagonist than he does a protagonist. Even looking at just the very opening scene of the film, it's, it's Bruce Wayne, right? It's, it's Bruce Wayne's narration it's the scene That's of true. Bruce Wayne. Like he's the protagonist in, in my opinion. And then, You've got Superman and Lex Luthor being his antagonists um, throughout the film because it's really him being pulled by Lex Luthor and by Superman. You know, wh- which way is he going to go? Which way is he going to believe? He represents all of us as we are torn between these two ideal, like faith ideologies. I wonder if I'm suffering from that fan base venomous bite you think you said because. <laughs> I've always thought, and I mean, this is the second time I've watched this movie, you know, and of course we've discussed it a lot outside of the two times we've watched the movie, (laughs) but I always thought Superman was the protagonist, but I think it's because it's always billed as it's the follow-up, not a sequel to Man of Steel, but the follow-up. And so to me, I'm like, oh, okay, well, it's going to follow Superman's trajectory, you know, that, but you're right. I mean, the movie does pit you, not pit you. Um, present you with Batman as the first story opening beats. You know, mm-hmm. don't get me started that we did not need a whole recreation of how he becomes the Batman and his parents getting killed. I swear, if one more Batman remake gets made and we see that again. <gasps> Anyways. <laughs> I, I actually want to touch on that at some point, but keep going because that's... Um, but I mean, long story short to say, like, yeah, we were always presented with Batman that. And like you're saying, I mean, I'm constantly hounding against Batman clearly in my uh, diagnoses but it's because I think for me it was like I just did not understand that he was the protagonist and with your thematic approach it makes much more sense to me that yeah Batman has always been the protagonist Superman was the secondary maybe protagonist but really Mm -hmm. like you said more of the antagonistic force in a way towards Batman right not because he's a villain because again antagonist does not mean villain yeah it just means he is he's working in opposition to Batman's goals yeah, because in a way, belief system. Because if we take kind of your religious thematic approach to it, it's literally again, Batman is not a god. Batman mm-hmm. is literally a common person who just has a bunch of money and cool gadgets. <laughs> Superman is a super being and can be considered a deity, right? Mm-hmm. So in a way, like looking at it of a man questioning, can I kill my faith in a way? Mm-hmm. Can I kill God out of my life in a way? And exactly. that approach to me makes Batman's arc make much more sense to me and right. kind of opens right. up the film and. Lord, you did it again. Uh-oh. I shook him. <laughs> I shook him. <laughs> Score one point for me, point Samantha. Doctor John. <laughs> Dang it! <Dr>. No. <laughs> <laughs> ah! Yeah. 
I can. So that's okay. an interesting. So that could be another interesting side effect, though. I don't know if there's an official diagnosis term for this, but just in the marketing of the film, then was off. Absolutely, and normally, like this is this is what I was trying to say at the beginning. The mark, like if I have one, if I had to say, like aside from this podcast where we talk about the the story structure mainly and predominantly focused there, I would quickly put a plug over here and say that is the that is the biggest thing killing this movie was the marketing was atrocious in my opinion and i mm-hmm. please don't hate me everyone for saying it, but it was it was bad i knew the whole entire movie before i went we're not gonna go there but <laughs> I, I, well, I mean here here to kind of caveat a little bit titles of movies and scripts are important as a from a story structure yes, and so yes. we could say that the marketability because titles are technically a marketable tool Mm-hmm. Is again back to my what I said earlier is just the title itself is misleading, you know. And it's funny because I read in research for this episode, I read some interview where if you notice the title is Batman v Superman, not v dot, not versus vs dot. Mm-hmm. And I in an interview, the person was saying, for, I think it was from an exec from DC, well, we don't want people to understand that it's a versus movie, like they're not against each other in a way, and it's like. No, but that's kind of what the film, first of all, that's kind of what the movie was about in a way. Second of all, well, then why name it that? You know, like I honestly, personally, as a person now understanding more of the story and the thematicness of it, kind of, I would have just called it Dawn of Justice. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially because, again, the follow-up to this was Justice League. So there you go. Perfect. But second of all, it, a dawn, like a new beginning in a way that a God and a man were fighting. And, and it's like, it's almost like what Samantha, you talked about this before we actually went live. You said like, <laughs> why didn't going into this, you asked, you know, why didn't they just do a Batman movie before doing this one? And what, what my answer answer that would be is, well, they did. This is the Batman movie, which is why I give it the, the diagnosis of um, an expository gnosia is because for a Batman movie, there wasn't quite enough. But I mean, it's, it's really hard to do because I, it's so interesting hearing what you said versus what Dr. John A said, Dr. John A, if they give me one more Batman origin story, I'm going to throw this mic out the window. And then Samantha being like, well, why didn't they give us a whole movie about the origin of Batman? You know, there's these two audience member mentalities that like, no matter what they did, they were probably going to (laughs) lose. And well, also with the caveat that this was, and I think I said this too, before we went live, that this for me was the first DC movie Hmm. I'd ever seen. That's right. So this was also the first time that I had seen Batman. And so I at least appreciated the background because, I mean, while some of that you just kind of know, it's like Peter Parker with the spider, like everyone kind of knows some of the stories, but I still was kind of hoping for more just to understand him as a character, especially since I think starting off, he does feel more like a protagonist of the film. And so I think, I don't know, I just was surprised that they didn't do a little bit more to set up Batman, but also, I mean... I'm coming from the perspective of I hadn't ever seen a Batman movie where versus with John A, if you're saying you've seen so many endless versions of, you know, his parents dying and all this stuff and you're tired of it, then I can see why maybe they would skip out on it this time. But I also I also want to give you credence to what you're saying there. I think that's actually one of the biggest problems and challenges facing this film is I actually agree with you. We needed more understanding of Batman to truly sympathize with him and go on his journey we need to not only, and this gets a, this dips a little bit into the prescriptive zone, but I'm going to do it because because I'm Dr. John C and I just do what I want. Oh, okay. <laughs> just kidding. I don't. I felt really weird the saying board. That. I'm kidding. <laughs> ah, it felt gross. <laughs> um, 
but you know, especially like for instance, when it comes to killing is, is a very controversial thing, right? Yes. The Batman killed in this movie. No, that's not something we've ever, I mean, we have technically seen Batman do that in other movies, but like, it's always the idea that Batman doesn't kill, especially coming off of the Nolan trilogy. Right. Mm-hmm. So no matter who you are, whether you are a new person who knows nothing about Batman or whether you are a fan coming off of the Batman trilogy or just a normal person coming in off anything you've seen and knowing some things and not knowing other things, they need to clearly establish that, yes, Batman is actively killing people. And why is he doing that? And like mm-hmm. explaining that to us because it will show us something about his character, whereas they tried to tiptoe around. I think I saw an interview with Zack Snyder that he was saying like, um, because in oh, going back to your original question, Samantha, and just you guys tell me to be quiet if I'm talking too much. I could go on for hours about this movie, <laughs> but about the source material, you know, this mm. movie was based off a comic book, a graphic novel uh, called The Dark Knight Returns. Um, and the story is is nothing, nothing like this. It's almost the, the only thing that's even slightly similar to it is the, the at the end, there is a confrontation between Batman and Superman and they do verse each other. Right. There was there was some imagery and there was some like it's definitely inspired by thematically the costuming. Some of the shots even are taken straight from the graphic novel. Um, like, uh-huh. I don't know if you guys remember the scene with the flamethrower. Um, mm. Right. But the, that actually is taken from in a different way. It's inspired by the Dark Knight, um, mm. the, the graphic novel where this where this this like thug is holding a gun to a kid's head and saying, like, don't take another word like I'll shoot. And the and Batman in that one actually has a pistol that he got from somewhere, I think. And he's like, oh, I believe you. And like shoots the guy straight, mm. straight in the head. <laughs> um, so everyone in the, in the Zack Snyder did this interview where every he's like everyone in the editing room is like, he needs to shoot him. He needs to shoot him. That's how it happened in the comics. Like he's got to shoot this guy. And Zack Snyder's like, I'm not going to be the guy that makes Batman shoot somebody with a gun. Like I, I'm and I and I actually think that did him a huge disservice. Um, because by seeing Batman do these quasi kills, blowing up a flamethrower, blowing up cars and letting people die there, it, it, it's not selling us on his character because you're confused he, by going halfway out. You get a halfway character, right? Exactly. And that's again, that's I mean, the, everything I know, it's sometimes I talk too much about my own things and too detailed. But that's basically why I was like, I felt like there was antagonitis is because I was I was just very confused with Batman's character. Mm hmm. You know, and again, I didn't see him as the protagonist because I just thought like from my own uh, fan base, poison bite, venomous thing, that whatever that word is <laughs> that you mentioned, that disease. The venomous but, audience bite. The venomous, exactly. You know, my expectations. Uh, I was fan baited. Um, but again, I was just like, I don't understand Batman. And the killings didn't help either. Right. They just, it just and makes- the half killing, like you were saying, where it's almost like halfway, that's almost so much worse because I thought he was just this like, heartless person like i remember leaving the theater and just thinking wow everybody's horrible you know like none of them are good people so who are you rooting for versus where i'm sure with batman it would have made such a difference in the movie if um this is also maybe prescribing into into that that's realm. okay we're, but, we're um, seeping into there yeah we'll just go there <laughs> let's just go there um, okay well i yeah it seems like it would have made a huge difference if they'd been able to just make that decision and really define Batman as a character and really define what the Snyder version of Batman was going to be so that you do understand him and understand where he's coming from. Because I think the story would have been so much more compelling if you understood him. And if you knew that he was a guy who was just trying his hardest to do the right thing, mm-hmm. it just would have made it just, yeah, well, so much more relatable. And, and how much more impetus would that fight have had? 
Superman would be stop like stopping an active killer, right? Mm. Like it would have made that make a lot more sense. Like, look at Batman's body count. Like Superman would have been like, okay, I got I gotta stop this guy. <laughs> mm-hmm. My prescription, I mean, if I can go into it, was just basically to like retcon and make it logical that Batman mm-hmm. is a killer. Mm-hmm. But in a way, I guess okay, let me backtrack, is to say that he's not a killer, but he's going to kill Superman. Like he makes that active decision as a character, right? Mm-hmm. And the fact and really hit home that Superman would be his first kill. Yes. And I'm not necessarily coming at it from a thematic approach because I mean, when you think about it, like how is a man going to kill a super godly being, right? But anyways, like to me, it would kind of greatly impact and course correct a lot of the elements in the story for me because it would make this very cold and dark Batman, you know, empathetic mm-hmm. and almost Killmonger-esque. You know, yeah. we're, we're, we as the audience would understand why he must do what he must do, but showing us this as an internal conflict of never wanting to take a life or kind of have this sense of murderous intent. And I think maybe that would have properly balanced him for me as a protagonist. Like, again, like we said, when we're saying antagonist, we're not meaning a villain, but it's kind of like when you see it from sup- the movie from Superman's uh, POV, it's given to you that Batman's the antagonist. When you see it from Batman's POV, it's Superman's the antagonist. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think if if this is what they can do, I think it would really hit the nail on the coffin, as they say, of showing both characters as being equal protagonists in a way and equal antagonists to each other. Mm-hmm. But it's still predominantly Batman's story, right. you know, and we did mention Civil War. <laughs> we did and so not to like, you know, bring up um, <laughs> the Marvel and the universe, but. I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about the fact that uh, Batman v Superman came out March 2016 and then two months later, Marvel released their own V movie, aka mm-hmm. Civil War, right? Mm-hmm. But I don't think it suffered from the same structural flaws. And I know that's not the point of the episode, but I just want to point out, like, you know, you had Steve Rogers slash Captain America and Tony Stark slash Iron Man who both present their ideologies and there's so much empathy and compassion within them that you can root for both of them. They're not trying to kill each other. They're trying to make their point known of like, no, Steve, you're wrong. No, Tony, you're wrong, right? But when they do that big fight at that airport at the very end and we get to see all the other, you know, basically Avengers 2, 3 actually at that point, but I felt like it was an Avengers movie. But my point is what? you root for both sides, but you also disagree with both sides. And I think that made the movie much more enjoyable and you can actually relate to it. Whereas this one, you know, I had a hard time relating to Batman, which is I think why I never saw him as a protagonist. Exactly. Whereas Superman, you're like, well, no, he feels bad. Everything he touches basically dies. You know, like, I understand that he's trying to do good. You know, whereas Batman's out here like, I must kill the Superman. It's not getting better. But, you know, he's out there like, I must kill the Superman. You know, you're like, no, Batman, that's not good. But again, if if he was just shaped a little bit differently and his story arc was a little bit different for me, I think I would have rooted for both at the end of the day. Yeah, exactly. And it. You know, it's it's very interesting because I I also like it, since you touched on Civil War, that is one that was marketed fantastically, right? It's Civil War. There was a Civil War, and it played out exactly how we would want a Civil War to go. <laughs> this one it, it suffers from again bad marketing because, in essence, the the show really isn't about Batman versus Superman. Like it is about it is really about Batman's journey from the edge back into the light he, he even talks about it like his opening monologue is that all things like there was a time of good things and the good things like fell or something like that and he's talking about how everything falls down and by the end 
like what is what is the first thing we see the first image because these are so important when you make a movie your opening image and your final image what is the opening image fall leaves falling to the ground what is the final image it is dirt rising into the air which may make no sense but thematically everything's that, rising yeah right? it is it is a story about redemption batman's like return from the brink that that is what this story is about more like superman is honestly very close to a secondary character <laughs> exactly no i mean again with everything you were kind of telling us it makes sense to me that yeah it's a batman movie and superman was the secondary protagonist I should, maybe I should stop saying the word protagonist, secondary character of the <laughs> yeah. show, of the movie, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and I mean, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no. I, I encourage you to speak, Dr. John. I was going to switch the topic slightly to my um, other's prescription. So if you needed to continue on that prescription or even, um, I'm about to call you Dr. Samantha B, um, <laughs> if you have anything that you needed to say. <laughs> yeah. No, I just think, it, yeah, no, it's just interesting to think about how it would have been different even if, yeah, Batman was different. And then I was wondering too if um, either of you feel like it would have helped the story at all if Superman even was slightly more ambiguous. I feel like they try to keep him very much as being kind of this, um, I don't know, like in his character and how he reacts to stuff, like he's very quick to be very remorseful and I just wonder if it would have been more interesting if he also was more conflicted sometimes and still felt like maybe he had done the correct thing, even though the world had criticized him for it. Just so you also understand where Batman is coming from a little bit, just because, um, especially in the extended version, then I feel like you saw Superman a lot more where you're like, why would anyone go after this guy? Like, he seems like, yeah, he's just kind of this sad, like, puppy who just kind of accidentally, like, mm -hmm. you know, destroys things mm -hmm. versus where they're, I don't know, like, it would make sense to me that there's some slight if there was an edge to him just because I feel like that's how DC does things. And I think, I don't know, what are your opinions? Could it have made it better, worse? Did it, did the movie need that or no? Hmm, needed is it, is a, I'm not sure I'll go to, to needed, but I don't actually think that would have been a terrible idea. Like I think that might've enhanced a few things because Superman's arc in this, in this story really is him, his, his like, how do I say this? He his loyalty to the planet Earth is really being put to the test. You can see it in his talk with his mother near the end, where his mother is like, you know, be be their savior, Clark, or be or be everything they want you to be, or be none of it. You don't know this world a thing, right? That is that is his journey. Do I keep helping these people who are just raking me across the coals? You know, because you know, we see, we get to see all the sympathetic sides of Superman. We get to see him being sad and remorseful and upset that the world hates him. But, you know, the world's only seeing the world's seeing Superman through. I, and that's why the news, like some people get really weirded out by all the like media stuff that's put in this movie and it feels weird to them. But that's why to me that media is so important is because we see how the world is perceiving Superman. The, the world itself is a character in this, in this show. And through the media, we can see that Superman isn't being, super well received he's a figure of controversy right um and mm -hmm. so it's his journey to be like is this my world should i even be doing any of this and it's also why lois lane is so important because ultimately what does he say at the end he says you are my world so like and what do we see in the dream sequence when superman is evil right in a possibly future flash forward thingy you know why that thematically was important is so we could see the dangers of superman because he says right there, she was my world and you took her from me. This is what Superman becomes without Lois Lane, 
because Lois Lane mm-hmm. is the only his only attachment to the world. Now, so what going back to your point, Samantha, that's why I actually think it possibly could have enhanced and helped the movie land a little bit better better if you see Superman being on the edge a lot of the times. Do I even help these people? You know, do do I handle it the way that they want it? Or maybe there's this other way that they wouldn't approve of. But I feel like I need to do it because I'm I'm all powerful, you know. I don't know how they would have done it, but it possibly could have helped land that a little bit more so that when he decides, no, this is my world. I'm going to abide by the rules. I'm going to help them do it. Like it, that would have been a more powerful landing. So yeah, I actually think that probably could have helped it a little bit. I have nothing to add. I agree. <laughs> I was just like, like listening. <laughs> uh, well, th- well, thank you. I'm, I'm glad I said, I glad I said it good. <laughs> Dang it. Did he just get another point? Oh, get a point. Maybe you got you got to have a good a good prescription this time. Wait, <laughs> You're gonna lose. On, on the flip side, that might have actually taken a point. I might have just argued you you a point, Doctor John, because I just said something the movie should have done that it didn't do. Oh, <laughs> but Samantha, who gets one the one. point on that one? <laughs> You're the judge. You're the referee. That's hard. You know, that's a good point. Um, I don't. Know. We'll give Doctor John A his credit, and we'll say you two are tied for now. Yay! <laughs> you deserved a point, Doctor John. You deserved it. You worked so hard for it. in this episode. <laughs> um, what, what was your other prescription? This this could get you. This could give you an edge. This could be the well, thing. Well, it, it was just more regarding the like the multi beat plesia of just how to fix that. You know, for people who are interested in the idea of like, yeah, I might have a two layered, too many layered beats or kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's literally just cut back. <laughs> Like, I mean, I know that's easy, but it's easier said than done, you know, um, like here, you don't need to make a specific story beat have too much stakes. I don't know if that's grammatically correct the way I said it, but you know what I mean? Like a story beat needs to either advance the story forward or reveal something to us about the characters. Yes. The minute yes. you start multi, you know, doing that re- repetitively, that's when you suffer from replesia. But the minute you take that beat and add these extra levels of stakes or these extra kind of fabrication of tension that's not mm-hmm. needed. That's probably my best definition of multi-biplegia, you mm, know? I like that. Uh, and kind of like you don't, and this is kind of what we're told a lot of times of in like, not to be sophisticated with screenwriting 101, <laughs> but you always want to kind of believe that your audience is smart. Not sophisticated smart, but the fact that they're not like dumb and just don't understand story. So when you're force feeding them constantly obvious information or obvious exposition, you lose them from the sh- from the movie. And I mean, kind of what we were saying earlier with there wasn't enough of the important exposition to set up a lot of the stuff because they were so focused on showing us, you know, oh, my God. Superman is attached to Lewis Lane. So that woman is kidnapped. Oh my gosh. His mother, Martha, is kidnapped. You know, and they kind of focus more on that. Same with the his kind of falling out with, oh my gosh, the African massacre. Oh my gosh, the U.S. Mm-hmm. state capital. You know, just cut that stuff out. You could have done the one beat and then just launched us into the next beat, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's all I wanted to say. Besides, <laughs> I'll just add this last tidbit of, remember, listeners, a scene should always have a conflict in it mm-hmm. that either pushes the character or the narrative forward. So by feeding us the audience information that is revealing about a character in order to story the, move the story forward, that works, but not too much of it. Because <laughs> if you do it too many times, you know, it becomes repetitive and loses its charm. Mm-hmm. 
Now, here's the, here's one thing I want to pose to you, Dr. John. Um, what is the so like? Because I, I I absolutely one hundred ten percent agree with everything you just said. Just let that be the let that be the baseline. But in a in an artistic, and there's no but. There's no okay. Well, on a different note. <laughs> You said 110% agree. So uh, I'm here 99. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. What <laughs> um, I think where, where I slightly disagree is in the in the idea that Superman, Batman versus Superman did that. And if it did, I, I'm on the fence about this myself. Is it is it allowed, permissible, or even encouraged in a in a, a thematic exploration piece? In a in a piece that's like exploring the nuances of faith, you know, per se, like in this, in this one and in deity figures and in our own relationship to deity figures right um, like then hypothetically i would assume that something like that would have a little bit more complexity than say you know uh, a civil war to it you know where that one really is plot driven and like there's a thematic thing driving the plot but there's definitely like a a flow to it whereas like batman versus superman doesn't inherently have an answer it just poses a bunch of questions and lets us watch these two ideologies just kind of exist in the same world I think it's permissible. I totally think it's permissible. And it kind of goes back to what you got, you two were saying earlier with kind of the genre beast mm -hmm. is that superhero movies don't tend to be thematic though. Yes. You know? Yes. And I think that's the only issue is just, again, we come into it being like, we're expecting the, the action, the, the fightings and the great, like that's what we want. And that's what the movie totally delivered on. But I think if you do, again, deconstruct it from a thematic approach, then I think it is permissible to have a lot of these added or these multi beats, if you will, mm -hmm. you know, because you are constantly needing to hit hard on the theme and the idea and whatnot. It's just that, okay, maybe I'm just not smart enough as an audience member to have seen this. And I'm saying, you know, believe that your audience is smart. Clearly Zach did. And a lot of us, it went over our heads. <laughs> Because, well, I, I do agree. You you can't treat, here's the, here's the, I would just put a nuance to what you said, because I do agree with you in a sense. It, it's not though necessarily to me treating your audiences if they're smart, but not treating, I worded them, it wrong. Not treating them like they're children, right? Because I found you, you do have to actually spoon feed a lot of the time because audience members do not pick on stuff. If it's not right in front of their faces, 95% of them are going to be like, I don't get it. And that, that, that sounds really arrogant from my perspective, but like, um, I don't mean to be, I just mean like, we need help to see it and not everything. This is a constant critique I get in my writing, which is why I'm so, so hyper aware of it is because it's a fly I have John. <laughs> it's like, I just like, I assume people know things and then they, they're like, but I don't, I'm not in your mind. I don't get all the nuances of the, the background information that you understand. You have to, you have to spell it out a little bit. And that's something that that's why I say that this movie suffers from it's, it's a lack of spelling out. It's someone who jumped one too many steps ahead in, in, in thinking about things, you know what I'm saying? It, I mean, I was about to say, like, it just goes back to our screenwriting term of the day and kind of what we're talking about. It's where do you find that balance? Yes. Because, yeah, like you said, and I, and that's you, the way you said it's better than I, I shouldn't have said, like, you need to think your audience is smart. Or so, like, in that sense, like, you're right. You want to just, they're not children. So, mm -hmm. yes, you need to spoon feed them information relevant to the movie and what they need to know to understand it. But you also don't need to overfeed them too much information because it becomes very repetitive. You also don't want to less feed them information because clearly, you know, what is going on. And that's, I think this movie clearly is an excellent example of they did not find that balance. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. And also don't let them know you're feeding them. That's the other thing. 
Yes, they, yeah. Don't let them know you're feeding them because the audiences hate that. So readers, basically, readers audiences are toddlers. Is that what we're saying? Well, how about they're not dumb; they're just new here. There <laughs> you go. That's why you're the referee. That's good. I like <laughs> that. I like that. Okay, put that on a T-shirt. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> they're not dumb. They're just new here. That that's the perfect <laughs> way to describe audience members. I'm going to literally use that for the rest of my career because oh, it thanks. totally describes what you need to do as a screenwriter. They're not dumb. Seriously, seriously. They're just new here. Tell them, tell them what's up. Give them the ground rules. It's great. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's how I was with this movie. I'm like, I don't know DC. I'm new here, and I feel like I did not. I mean, I was able to jump into the story, but missed the background of it, and right. then you miss the rest of the story. Right. Exactly. Like for instance, did did either of you know that? Robin got killed in this universe by the Joker. What? No. There was a Robin? There was a Robin. If you look in the movie, you can see when Batman, before he's going to do something, he looks at this case with a suit in it. And it's got the tag graffiti on it. Ha ha, Batman jokes on you or something like that. That's that's a Robin suit, if you look at it closely. Like his like his pro his child protege was murdered by the Joker in this. Like there are there are subtle signs like throughout the movie that like they should have handled they should have actively like said yeah when joker killed my robin that really was hard for me but probably written better <laughs> than what i just said no that i did not i did not catch that to be honest with you right because there's there that's something only a dc fan who was really nerdly obsessed with this movie would have picked up on these are the types of details that made me sold that like yeah batman's gonna start shooting and killing people it makes complete sense but that like 98% of audience members aren't going to see because it's a little thing. You're like, that's weird. Why are they showing me this image right now? <laughs> I just want to make a quick comment because I mean, it goes with the exposition kind of, I mean, not to make this whole episode about exposition, but I feel like Easter eggs, I mean, Easter eggs are supposed to be fun little expositional moments sometimes, right? Depending on the way they're set up. Um, but you need to be a fan. I mean, clearly Samantha and I have never read the comics where we don't necessarily know that universe to understand that that was an Easter egg per se, but mm -hmm. That is an example of an Easter egg that needs to be addressed because it could also under you can understand Batman of why he is the way he is all of a sudden in the beginning of the movie. Well, clearly, if it was, like you said, his child protege was murdered or killed by the Joker. Of mm -hmm. course, you can have some sort of vengeance. <laughs> exactly. You know, and then it gives kind of his arc a better understanding. And as I was saying earlier, the stakes were immediately there where you didn't need extra beats to kind of elevate them even more. So now. See, that's an example of Easter eggs. Never mind. That's not an example, but you know what I mean. <laughs> well, Easter, like Easter eggs, like figuring out what truly needs to be an Easter egg and what needs to actually be in the plot. Easter eggs should yeah. not be plot essential. Otherwise, you're in, you have to, otherwise, they're not Easter eggs and they're just plot points. <laughs> you mm. know? Exactly. Exactly. And that was a plot point that was probably handled a little too much like an Easter egg. And I heard, I mean, this is again, not, this was not in the script, but I read somewhere that um, Snyder in an original draft with the two, two writers of the screenplay who let me just quickly name them for people who are interested. They were Chris Terrio and David S. Goyer, um, Robin and ba uh, sorry, the Joker and Riddler were supposed to be characters in this movie. Really? In an original draft. And I think with everything we're saying, and especially saying Batman was the protagonist, if they did that, it would have solidified it much more for me. Mm. But also, that could have been a remnant of the potential Joker arc or the Joker storyline that they had. That would make sense. It's fun, the little but... Easter egg that you pick up from old, old, old drafts of the script. I I'm telling you, right? Yeah. yeah. And I just gave you all an Easter egg of the movie. Just kidding. 
<laughs> the pre-production of the movie. There you go. A, a pre-production Easter egg. LOL. So Samantha, judge judge us or ask us another, or if you have any other questions for us, ask them. Otherwise, I'm going to ask you to give us a verdict, unless there's anything else that needs to be said. I don't know. I think you guys have both made some very good points. You've changed my opinion about this movie. I feel like I need to watch it again. <laughs> Just and even if even that 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 will make me so happy if like even if you're if you don't have to walk away thinking this is the best movie in the whole entire world. If I can get you to watch this movie and see it in a different way and appreciate it on a whole new level and say, okay, that does not deserve a freaking 25% on Rotten Tomatoes, then I'll be happy boy. <laughs> it just feels like a movie where it almost could have been, I don't know, it just, it reminded me almost more of like a political thriller or something more like that. Like I feel like a very political movie mm-hmm. versus like a superhero movie, which I think now there's more of those. Mm-hmm. But when it first came out, I think it was kind of the only one of its kind. 100%. And so still might be in a lot of in a lot of ways. Mm. Captain America the Winter Soldier was very political. True. And how awesome was that movie? <laughs> Fantastic. So good. One of the best Marvel ones out there. 100%. I agree. Mm-hmm. Me too. So, mm-hmm. I think that's very I think that's very well stated, Samantha. It might it's a it's a at very least it's a misunderstood movie. Maybe not the greatest work of art of all time but misunderstood it i mean it clearly was a faith-based film it was a christian movie it was but just not advertised correctly <laughs> there, there should have been should have been a lot more religious commercials on this and honestly less spoilery ones sorry that's all i'll say when you go into a movie knowing every single thing that's going to happen in it before you go that reminds me to advertise our future Patreon in which Dr. John C and Dr. John A and Samantha will be coming on to talk about marketing for movies and not how to, <laughs> not how to screw it up. Man, how to plug our Patreon start, that's forthcoming. We can start that podcast when I figure out how to freaking do marketing for Cooper Home Entertainment. That is, that is <laughs> my goodness. I, I mean, for all the ragging I do on it, I'm like, also, I don't know what I'm doing. So don't take my opinion seriously, people. This is just opinions. <laughs> LOL. LOL. You know what, though? As an audience member, I feel like sometimes you know it best. I feel like they need to listen to audiences, you know? Touche. They're the judge at the end of the day. So, touche. So maybe we're both right. <gasps> I need to hear the final verdict before I give my opinion, if That's my true. opinion matters. Ooh, okay. I don't sway Dr. Samantha B. <laughs> No, I feel like you should both give a closing statement. I want a closing <gasps> summary. Oh, okay, okay Judge. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, would you like to go first since you're alphabetical, Dr. John A? I don't have a statement prepared, Dr. John C. <laughs> I mean, I have a two-page thing, but I'm going to try and trim it down. Oh, <laughs> shoot. Wow, okay. Sh- show me up. Um, okay. Um, Your Honor, members of the jury, which are our <laughs> listeners... You have heard many facts today and many opinions about this movie. And all I have to say is, I think, I think Dr. John C. won this one. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I have no other defense. I, um, that's, yeah. That's not how you do a closing statement. You're supposed, you're supposed to argue for yourself. I have nothing on the line. I don't care. I'm about to get murdered by the bat. <laughs>
the Batman. The Batman. Better. That was better. You are getting better. It's almost okay. the end of the episode, so it makes sense. <laughs> well, I will, I will I will do one, and I'll try. I'll try to. I'll try to do both. Uh, you did a great one for me, so let me see if I can do a good one for you too. <laughs> <laughs> what I will say, members of the jury, esteemed ju- guest judge, Samantha. When you look at Batman versus Superman, it is a movie of many successes and many failures. Ultimately, a movie, you know, success may be able to be, you know, deemed worthy or not by ratings, by audience receptions. And ultimately, that is a giant failing of Batman versus Superman is like most you talk to most anyone on the streets and their opinion will be Batman versus Superman is a bad movie. And how can that be your favorite movie? It was so ridiculous. You know, then they'll have a bunch of reasons why they believe so. So in that aspect, it did fail. Um, Where I would defend my plaintiff (laughs) is merely saying, why? You know, what happened to it? Taking a closer look at not only the movie, but at yourself. When When you watch this movie, look inside. And search your soul and see if maybe you're carrying a little bit of Marvel bias into it. Maybe are you carrying a little bit of a genre beast into this movie? Is it truly as offensive as you think it is and as poorly written as it is? Or were you just unprepared for the experience that Batman versus Superman offers? Because I promise you that if you go in with a clean slate, you will see flaws in this movie. Absolutely. They do not do the greatest job of establishing the exposition they do not give all the legs they could to Superman or to Batman to truly give this movie what it needed to thrive. But there are so many other things that they did right that I just beg of you not to completely write this movie off when you watch it next, but just to see, to search for the good, the things that it does right, because there is so much to be learned and so much value in it that is left untapped by simply dismissing the movie. Thank you. All right, well. See, I argue, James. After John C gets it. <laughs> Woo! Yes. Did you study to be a lawyer or something at some point in your life? I fun fact, <laughs> totally did. <laughs> totally couldn't handle it, so I am totally a screenwriter now. Well, clearly you, you could write closing arguments because I, while you were talking, I mean, I, I did hear everything, but all I could think of was how can I make a joke? <laughs> and the only joke I could think of was. The issue with this movie, like all my exes, is that it had no ex position. But that was not a good joke because it makes no sense. Oh, oh no. <laughs> we talked about this on another episode, John. I didn't think the humor would carry over to this. <laughs> I was like, X, X. Okay. Anyways, yeah. See, so yes, I agree. You gave it your best shot, though. That was, that I gave was it my best shot. You can't win them all, you know. You gotta re- workshop the jokes. And you know, I'll give I'll give you this for those of you who are stuck around. I'm gonna give you a, uh, I'm gonna give you a surprise, little bonus. If there was a, we we never truly settled on a winner for our Star Wars battle episode. But I believe I'm going on record. This is for you, Doctor John A. I normally wouldn't do this, but I'm feeling I'm feeling high on my victory on this one. So I'm gonna I'm gonna submit. <laughs> I think that Star Wars Episode 8 
Last Jedi is yes better <gasps> written than mm-hmm. The Rise of Skywalker. You 100% won that, and I didn't have the humility to let you win it because I my world was shook <laughs> when I rewatched it, and I am here embarrassed before you. I am so sorry. But So for those of you who watched that episode, too, or listened to that one, now you get a little bit of fulfillment. Now you get a little bit of that, uh, that teaser there. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I was right all along. You were like right Agatha. all along. And just like me on this episode. So look, now we are truly even. You know what this means? You know what this means, everybody? What? What? <laughs> that we're going to have to do a season two to figure what? out to settle the score. <laughs> that sounds like a plan. <laughs> yes. Plus you brought up Civil War and I feel like we discussed that too. Mm, so. Maybe we're going to have to have you back, Samantha. That sounds pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Twist my arm. I could come referee you people again. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank no, this you. This has been great, though. Yeah, this was awesome. Thanks, and thanks for <laughs> thanks for joining us on this episode. We, I've really enjoyed having you. It's it's great to have another person to bounce things off of, and someone yes. like for those of you who don't know, Samantha is a phenomenal phenomenal writer. I, I've been mm-hmm. working with her for a few years, and she just picks things up like this, like absolutely. A sponge. She's phenomenal. So it's well, it's been a pleasure to, to hear your opinions and have these really thought-provoking questions asked to us. So thank you. Appreciate that. Yes. Yes. Well, thank you. I've literally learned everything from both of you. So <laughs> you definitely have credit for all of my successes because uh, give Blake a little I'm bit of credit. <laughs> well. Great. Well, if that's it, then uh we will be we'll be signing off for this season, but uh, join us again. And also, hey, if you think I really did win this argument, comment. Let us know whose side oh, yeah, yes. whose who side you're taking. <laughs> we want to, we want to hear from you. We <laughs> do. We do. If you have future episode ideas, we'd love to hear those too. We always want to hear those. Yeah, because we will be back for a season two. Don't you worry. But for now, let's sign off this season in the most classic of ways, the way we always do. I'm Dr. John C. I'm Dr. John A. I'm Dr. Samantha Brinkers. <laughs> <laughs> and this has been The, the Script, script <laughs> What are we so bad at? We've never once done that in sync. I can't. Never. <laughs> never. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Script Doctors. If you have a story that could use a little script doctor magic, you can contact us at thejohns.scriptdoctors at gmail.com. We'll help you diagnose what your script is suffering from and give you our recommended prescriptions for how to cure it at a cost that you can actually afford. But we do not accept insurance. Yeah, we don't do that. But make sure to follow us on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok as well, at The Script Doctors. In the meantime, be sure to do your writing exercises and give your scripts plenty of thematic vitamins. Paging the Dr. Johns. You're needed in the ER immediately. Not another flop. Come on, Dr. John. We gotta go. See you next time.